1915, Bohemian-German-born author Franz Kafka wrote a book that shaped and encapsulated European consciousness and their hopelessness, their helplessness and futility in life for decades to come for the European continent. The book was named Metamorphosis. In the book, a businessman, Gregor Samsa, wakes up one morning to find that he has been transfigured into a hideous monster. Kafka, who wrote in German, used the word ungeziefer, which in the English version was translated incorrectly simply as insect or bug. The original word means an unclean animal not even fit for sacrifice. The book symbolically describes humanity's meaninglessness, their meaningless existence, as it follows Gregor's futile attempts to overcome constant isolation and rejection by family, neighbors, and at work as something meaningless, rejected, and unloved part of society. In the depressing end, Gregor, like, a, like us, according to Kafka, dies alone. But today is Transfiguration Sunday. For the last six weeks, we have been following Christ from the time the Magi arrived at his cradle, from following his star. We followed him during these past weeks as Jesus has been revealing to his disciples in the world that he is the light of salvation. He has healed many, and he has cast out demons. John the Baptist is told when he's in prison that there is no other who is to come, that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter, just verses before our text today, declares, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, on every occasion where the question has been raised in Mark again and again, Who is this who has authority to forgive sins? And who is this who can command the waves and the storms to cease? We are finally led to this moment. We are led to a mountaintop where Jesus shines like the sun in the presence of his disciples. This is the exclamation point at the end of the Epiphany season, telling us who Jesus really is. It is the culminating moment in the life of the disciples to see who Jesus is, without parables, without miracles, without teaching. It is, in fact, a moment that brings together in one single view all of what Old Testament history and the prophets is about and about what is going to be happening to Jesus in his passion in the coming weeks. All of what has gone on since the creation of the world is brought to this moment in the world's history. You know, we look at this every year on Sunday. Our minds are normally transfixed by Jesus shining, the disciples wanting to build tents to remain on the mountaintop, and God speaking from heaven. We talk about mountaintop experiences of faith from time to time, those moments when God seems so close or we are so in contact that we don't want to leave that experience. Perhaps it's a conference, perhaps it's a convention, a spiritual convention. We hear God's voice. We don't want to come down. So even in this event, God's voice is present. He says, listen to my beloved son. But then we have to come down from the mountain. And they do too, the disciples and Jesus, and they get ready for Lent to begin to follow in the footsteps of Jesus to the cross. But while we might enjoy imagining the shining bling of Jesus on the mount, or the astonished faces of the disciples gasping for air as they couldn't believe what was happening around them, before their very eyes, today 
we will look at only three words in our text, the Transfiguration. These words unlock the mystery in fully understanding the importance of this Transfiguration. With these three words, the Gospel writers open Jewish eyes, namely the disciples' eyes, to see what is about to happen. And in the same way, they invite us to see more than just bling and bedazzlement on this special day. Our first word to consider is transfiguration. I ask you, who is transfigured in this story? And you say Jesus. He shines like the sun. Yes, he does. But the word used by Matthew and Mark and translated as transfigured is our word metamorphosis, the word that Kafka used when writing about the transfiguration of Gregor into an unclean animal unfit to even be offered up in sacrifice. But Jesus does not change into something he was not before. In fact, here, Jesus is not really transfigured at all. Say what? Quite the contrary. Even though his face now shone and his clothes were snowy white and he is in the presence of Moses and Elijah, it's the disciples who now see who Jesus really is in a way that they had not seen him before. They see the true Jesus in all his glory. The way that he is before he came into this world. They see who he truly is in his glorified body outshining the sun. In order to be transfigured, Jesus would have had to be something that he was not and transfigured into something new. Something he, in his essence, is not, changing from one thing into another. Like Gregor, who was metamorphosed from a human into a monster. But here Jesus' nature is revealed, not altered. We see through the mortal veil of flesh, and we see who he really is. Here Jesus reveals to the disciples what has been hidden from them in Moses and the prophets. That he is that, the fullness of the Godhead, dwells in him. He is the tabernacle, that he truly is the Son of God. Even though he has been healing, teaching, preaching with authority and power, the disciples see him here, unconcealed, completely revealed. In all actuality, it is the disciples who are metamorphosed. They transfigured, changed, transformed in their minds and in their hearts, in their faith and conviction. They now can confess what Peter confessed alone moments ago. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Changed from doubt and uncertainty about the Messiah to complete and absolute surety about who this Jesus is. If they were singing their song would be, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. No obstacle in the way. No lack of human understanding. They are changed. They see him for who he really is, even among them now, standing in the flesh, the Messiah, confirmed beyond a shadow of a doubt by the declaration of the Father, this is my beloved Son, in whom I take delight. But there's more here. The disciples are not only transformed in their recognition of who Jesus is and see him as he is, they see him as he will be after his resurrection. The disciples witness, therefore, what they will be in their own resurrection, transfigured as Christ is. As they will soon journey to Jerusalem for Jesus' crucifixion, the disciples now see him as he will be in his resurrection, glory, and splendor. It's a sneak peek, if you will. 
And in so doing, Jesus is showing them their future, the end result of all humanity who die in him. He is the resurrection and the life. Right before the disciples' eyes, they are given additional proof of this future life because they see Moses and Elijah, both alive, not dead, with the eternal Son of God. Moses and Elijah are the future of those who have died in faith. The disciples, like Moses and Elijah, see Jesus now as he is and will see Jesus and be with him as he is. This is the disciples' future. This is the disciples' joy. They now know and believe that this is what Jesus came to do. But how will this happen? They don't want to let this moment pass. That's why Peter doesn't want to leave. That's why he wants to build the tabernacle right there, even though he doesn't understand yet that Jesus is the only tabernacle wherein God dwells. But where does this happen? That takes place in our second word. Our second word is departure. In Luke's account of the transfiguration, it says, Moses and Elijah began talking to Jesus. Hmm, I wonder what about. They spoke about his departure that he was about to carry out at Jerusalem. We know Jesus will come down from the mountain and continue on to Jerusalem. Except the word for departure in Greek that Luke uses is exodus. Exodus. Now, there's not a Jew in the joint in the first century that does not know and understand what Exodus refers to. The Israelites were freed from Egypt through the Exodus that God provided for them. God delivered them through the Exodus then, and he is and has come to fulfillment and complete the Exodus now for us. On his journey to the cross, he passes through the valley of the shadow of death in order to deliver from death. Death, the power that once held captive, is about to be destroyed. That's Jesus' mission. That's why he goes to Jerusalem. He departs from this world, from this mountain, to be glorified and restore life and God's acceptance. That's how our metamorphosis takes place. As the Israelites once passed through the Red Sea by the hand of God and emerged from that sea unscathed, following the glory of God that went before them by pillar of fire at night and through smoke and cloud by day, so Jesus passes through the valley of the shadow of death into a glorious transfigured body of resurrection. And only he can do it. No other unclean, helpless, hopeless, sinful creature unfit for sacrifice do this. Only he can exit this life and return. Only he has the authority to lay down his life and take it up again, as John tells us in his gospel. Our third word is the word accomplish. Luke says, Moses and Elijah and Jesus talked about his departure that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Luke's word for accomplish is plenao, and in the, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, the word is shalom. In a prior sermon, we saw how our word peace is used to translate shalom, that the meaning does not mean peace as a cessation of strife. Shalom means completion, wholeness, not lacking or needing anything else. Jesus is the disciples' shalom. Jesus is our shalom. In him, we need nothing else. We are complete. His exodus, his death and resurrection makes everything complete. 
This is the final exodus, the final liberation from sin and death. We need no other, no more sacrifice in the temple, no more enslavement to sin. The disciples and us are free. They will be transfigured. We will be transfigured. The disciples lack nothing. We lack nothing. In Christ alone, there is eternal life. This is the Messiah. They need not wait for any other one. And so they now journey toward Jerusalem. What's in the transfiguration story of Jesus for you and me? Remember in Kafka's book, Gregor was transfigured into who he truly was in society, an unclean animal, unfit for sacrifice. And so in a way, Kafka does describe us accurately. If we were transformed the same way, unfit by sin, unrighteous, broken in so many ways, unworthy, incomplete, lacking, unwanted, suffering, weak. We are unfit for sacrifice, unable to change the nature of who we are into something pleasing to God, something not glorious. But this Messiah, whom the disciples see and whom we witness through their words and the teachings, reveal to us that he is the sacrificial lamb of God. He is worthy as he shows us who he is and has the authority and power to take away the sins of the world. We see his transfiguration into what he, in essence, is true God, true human, to be sacrificed for us. He is the lamb who is worthy. But how? This Messiah, the Son of God, is your exodus from captivity to our sinful nature from which we cannot escape. He has parted the sea. He has parted the sea of death that otherwise would swallow you and walks before you triumphantly to usher you into his kingdom. He has provided for you an exodus from slavery to sin that has held you captive to death since birth. As you have to pass through this Sinai of sin and suffering, you pass through unscathed, unharmed in the waters of baptism, belonging to God and having been buried with Christ, you are transfigured into his glorious body of resurrected splendor. As Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, transfigured, in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. That's you. That's me. That's Moses. That's Elijah. That's Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is our exodus and he has passed through. From slavery to sin and the power of death, he has vanquished. Luther loved the transfiguration. Luther's use of the transfiguration to teach the hope that we have in the resurrection of the body is truly wonderful. For when you hear the vivid picture of how Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light, as it says in Matthew, he says, the resurrection of the dead and the future glory and brightness of our own bodies are shown. Luther continues, for this was something very remarkable that Christ was transfigured while yet in the mortal body, which was subject to suffering, what then shall it be when mortality shall be swallowed up and nothing shall remain but immortal glory? 
With the hope Jesus' transfiguration brings, Luther continues and says, This appearance teaches us also that we should despise death and look upon it merely as an immigration or a sleep. In short, Jesus' transfiguration, that this life is nothing at all in comparison with the future life. And it proves that sin is overcome. For it necessarily follows as an incontrovertible conclusion that where death is overcome, there sin is also overcome. What do you have to fear in death when Jesus shines like the sun before you and is white as light to enlighten you to what he has done on your behalf? No, there is nothing to fear in life or death when you compare it to the future life our Father has in store for you by which we're given a sneak peek on this Sunday through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus' transfiguration reminds you and me that unlike the hopelessness and helplessness of Gregor's metamorphosis into an unwanted and loathed creature, unworthy to be offered in sacrifice and unworthy to be loved and accepted by others, Christ is our worthy and complete sacrifice. Transfiguring our death to life, God's judgment into forgiveness, where we find love and acceptance as his very own. It's interesting, you may remember, in fact, that the early church had its own symbol for our future transfigured, resurrected glory. The symbol of the early church for the resurrection was a butterfly. From caterpillar to cocoon to butterfly, metamorphosis. From sinful human to death to new life in Christ, May Jesus' transfigured glory aid and strengthen your faith as you journey in self-reflection and repentance this season of Lent, rejoicing in your own resurrection that awaits you. Amen.